Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and happy May the 4th, 2021. Yay! Happy Star Wars Day, and may the 4th be with you! May the 4th be with you. It's so fun. Today, it's just... I've been looking forward to it all week, like for the past few weeks, really. (laughs) I know, me too. I should have taken it off work. It's such a big deal as a Star Wars fan this particular day. So much happens. There's so many good things that are kind of released online. (laughs) I'm just really happy it's here. And I love that Star Wars now acknowledges it. It used to be like a meme-y thing. And now Star Wars is in on the joke and they fully (laughs) celebrate it. And it's great. They're like, yes, this is our holiday. Let's own it. Yeah, and I I really appreciate that just as a social media manager that they took something that like kind of formed organically as a funny inside joke and then made it their own and are like, yeah, no, our name trends every day this year. So we're going to capitalize on that and they're going to be smart about it. (laughs) They do. And it's great. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense to especially, you know, during the sequel trilogy era when a lot of, you know, all of the episodic films were coming out in December Mm-hmm. And then it's like you kind of have this nice thing a couple months later, like this big event kind of mid-year, aside from like years where like Solo was coming out to yeah. go on during May, since May really is kind of Star Wars month historically, and mm-hmm. now via meme land, you <laughs> 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 just keep the tradition going that May is always going to have some big thing for Star Wars, whether it's a summer release like Solo, whether it was all of, you know, episodes one through six being released in May, and now May the 4th, day two, actually being, you know, a quote-unquote official holiday from Star Wars. And now we get to celebrate a basically annual tradition of experiencing Order 66 over and over again. (laughs) annual tradition of Bane. Yes. We always say Star Wars is tragedy, and you know what? They know it, and I respect it. (laughs) When you put it like that, it's like, wow, what kind of holiday is this? (laughs) A pain holiday. (laughs) I guess it is kind of, right, because Empire Day is also considered Order 66 Day, right? Yeah, uh, that's a, a little bit up for debate. I feel like I thought it was, but I guess it's supposedly like the day after. So, I don't mm. know. I mean, that's, that that's a story group too. situation. I, you know, I guess it depends on like what time of day. Yeah, that <laughs> Order sixty six really happened. Was it like evening time? And when was the Empire declared Empire? Exactly. You know. When did they all come together for Palpatine to reveal his his face <laughs> after the attack on the by the Jedi? Yeah. You know what was the timing of all that? I don't know. Anyway, anyway we're, is May the 4th aligned with Order 66 slash Empire Day seems a little ominous, but I'm having a great time. So <laughs> so before we get started reviewing this first episode of Bad Batch, we just wanted to say hello and welcome to any new listeners that we might have. You know, last year on May the 4th, it was the finale of uh, Clone Wars Season 7. And it being Star Wars Day, there were just a lot of new listeners um, that day who got to listen to... Uh, Charlotte and I cry (laughs) over the end of uh, Clone Wars Season 7, Victory and Death. We won't be crying this episode, but in case this is your first time listening, uh, welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm Caitlin. That's Charlotte. We've been doing this for five years now. Uh, We're best friends who have grown up together. Charlotte was the one who introduced me to Star Wars, and uh, we've been rolling ever since and obsessed over this <laughs> entire franchise. So that's kind of the elevator pitch of Sky Talkers in a nutshell. 
Yeah, especially the era of the Clone Wars is really special to us, which is why it's really exciting that if we can consider the Bad Batch a, a sort of sequel to the Clone Wars, because I think it it considers itself that, we get to experience a whole new ride, too. Um, so welcome, if this is your first time listening. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I hope you stick around, too. We love reviewing the Star Wars TV shows. Uh, we did all of Clone Wars Season 7. We did all of Season 4 of uh, Rebels back in 2018 both seasons of The Mandalorian and Resistance. Uh, we really love Star Wars TV. Um, we talk a lot of, about a lot of other stuff besides Star Wars TV uh, on our what we consider like our main show. That's like our themed episodes and stuff. But we really love kind of uh, weekly breakdowns and analysis of Star Wars TV. And we're so excited for this one. Yeah. So we're extremely lucky because... After emailing the Disney Media Relations, we were able to actually watch this episode early, and we're unbelievably grateful for this. We've been reviewing Star Wars television shows, like Caitlin mentioned, for like five years now, so we're, we couldn't be more grateful for this experience. And what's really nice about this is that we were able to watch this first episode of The Bad Batch without being spoiled. So this entire review is like without any sort of online chatter. We've only talked about it to each other, uh, which is a weird experience for us because usually I would say our reviews are informed by other people's reactions and not fully informed, obviously, but it's part of it because it, it always is going to be part of it about what other people thought, what other people picked up on, things that we missed. So this should be interesting because <laughs> it's just you and me here. Yeah. So I'm really excited yeah. to get get going. So this first episode of The Bad Batch, this new series that we're so excited about, was called Aftermath. It aired May 4th, 2021. The writers were Jennifer Corbett and Dave Filoni. The directors were Stuart Lee, Saul Ruiz, and Nathaniel, Villian- Nathaniel Villanueva. And the entire series was developed by Dave Filoni and Jennifer Corbett. And I... Kayla and I are huge fans, huge fans of Dave Filoni. So I feel like let's just start here, Caitlin. Dave's name is listed before George Lucas is in the credits. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, um, we watched it at separate times and Charlotte watched it first and then I watched the episode. And after I watched it, the first thing I texted her, I was like, they put Dave's name before George. George's. <laughs> and the, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Not in not in TV, at least. It's always been kind of, you know, based on characters and story and Star Wars by George Lucas. Um, it wasn't like that for The Mandalorian, was it? I feel like. I don't know. I don't know. I now I'm remember. doubting myself. But I know, it's still kind of like, Wow. It's Dave definitely never happened for it's definitely never happened in Clone Wars. Yeah. I can say that with, you know, 98% certainty. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it really just is, you know, time rolling on. And mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. Whatever, you know, critiques that you have about, you know, Star Wars as it is now, about Dave Filoni and storytelling, whatever it is, like when you think about it, it, it always kind of blows my mind that Dave has actually directed and created more Star Wars than probably anyone mm-hmm. now at this juncture. And that is always just kind of, it kind of messes with me. 
sometimes. <laughs> and I remember we were talking about this with the Mandalorian of, you know, depending on how many seasons of Mandalorian there are and just kind of how many episodes Dave will go on to direct in live action, he's pretty rapidly approaching uh, where he's going to have the most live action direction of being director for live action than George too, <laughs> which mm-hmm. kind is, is also kind of like, trippy and messes with my head a little bit but yeah um we're big fans of Dave Filoni and of the animation department like Charlotte kind of mentioned if you're new here um Clone Wars really was like our entry point into fandom it was the first thing we kind of obsessed over together it was the first like new Star Wars that we got to experience as fans um like as friends too when we were in middle school and so it's something that's really informed our perception of Star Wars as we've kind of, you know, gone through the years. And Dave Filoni is a huge part of that. So um, we're always really excited to see new content from him, new stories from him. And I know that his like perspective on Star Wars has really been influential for us and how we approach a lot of these stories too. So it's always exciting to see new characters, to see new stories that are developed by him. Um, and so we are super excited <laughs> for this latest uh, chapter. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about Dave Filoni already, but I think we need to talk about the fact that this show has a woman writer and someone mm-hmm. who's sitting at the head of the writer's room, basically, who is Jennifer Corbett. And I'm really thrilled to see this because uh, I think she's someone who's come up um, from writing other episodes and now she's basically writing this whole series. And for me, that's really exciting. These are familiar names, the directors, especially if you have watched Resistance, have watched Clone Wars, have watched Rebels. And Jennifer is too. She wrote a couple of episodes in Star Wars Resistance, which Caitlin and I are huge fans of. So really excited to see this kind of churn in the process of someone uh, who started off in Resistance basically coming to head a whole their own series and it's really cool and i can't wait to see uh what else she writes and this entire show kind of unfold i I can't wait and last year charlotte and i watched um i forget what it was called officially but it was this live stream basically of lucasfilm animators and they were talking about kind of all of the animation department and they'd all work on different shows and stuff, whether it be Clone Wars, Clone Wars Season 7, Rebels and Resistance. Uh, but a lot of the animators that were at that live stream were actively working on Bad Batch at the time. And this was like, I think it was May of last year, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. like early pandemic time, like early quarantine for the United States. And uh, they, all of the animators who were there were just so excited about Bad Batch. You could tell how much they were kind of itching to talk about it, but it was still so far off <laughs> mm-hmm. for when it was coming out. And I think it was like, like Charlotte said, there's kind of this familiarity with a lot of the people who are involved in Bad Batch um, and Lucasfilm, the Lucasfilm animation department tends at least from my experience, tends to have a lot of the same people working on these different shows and stuff. And I think it's really great to see um, people who are invested in these stories and moving through different shows and are actively excited about the new stories that they're getting to tell. And that was something that definitely came through um, from some of the animators that we got to listen to last year. Totally. So let's talk about what we thought about the show okay so what do you think about (laughs) aftermath caitlin what was your experience how was the beginning tell me everything oh man it was just complete shock 
<laughs> when I opened up the because where where we watched it, it it was it was basically like it was almost like a bootleg version of Disney Plus. Like that makes it sound like it wasn't official, but it was. <laughs> um, but it looks like Disney Plus player basically, and uh, but the, it's just this episode of of Bad Batch. That's all that's there. <laughs> um, but it was called Aftermath, right? And again, that was my first text to Charlotte. I was like, oh my God, it's called Aftermath. And I think a lot of us have been talking about and theorizing about like, okay, are we going to see, like what part of Order 66 are we going to see with Bad Batch? You know, wh- where are they when all of this goes down? And y'all... <laughs> They were with Kayla. They were with Kanan. They were with Kanan. <laughs> oh my god! I like, I freaked out when I saw his master Depa. I was immediately like, "Oh my god! I know who that is. I know who that." Because you see her first before you see Kanan. Mm-hmm. You see Caleb. <laughs> I was like, that's her. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I, you know, spoiler, she wasn't ready. <laughs> she wasn't ready either. She no wasn't. one was ready. It's okay. <laughs> I I loved this opening. You know, before before we quickly got to the sadness of Order 66, I thought it was just, it was so, oh man, they really hit you. I think... Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm kind of like jumbling over my words because I think this intro is actually really perfect because um, it kind of balances that line of do you need to know who these characters are? Do you not um, to kind of feel the intensity and the emotion of what eventually happens? Like if you know who Kanan is, if you know what's coming, then you're like on high alert basically. Um, and it just it kind of, you know, like everything with Star Wars, you're kind of watching it unfold to this inevitable tragic end and kind of wondering how this is all going to unravel um because we know that this is kind of a a obviously a very important part of of Kanan's life and what kind of sets him down his path and you know seeing him just have fun with his master and really enjoying the bad batch and then <sighs> watching order 6 66 start i <laughs> I know. I know. It was so it emotional. Was, it was really emotional. And yeah, I was like frozen on my couch when I was watching this. I was like, is this happening? And I was also like, Caleb slash Kanan looks so cute. And I can't believe they got Freddie Prince Jr. to do the voice and right? basically kind of age down the voice. And I thought he did a really good job. I was like, is this is this him or not? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> At some points I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally Freddie Prince. But other times I was like, wow, he's doing a really good job of aging down. Yeah, I just I really liked the opening. I enjoyed being on this like snow foresty planet. You know, I hate that sometimes as a Star Wars fan, I'm like, is that snow? Is this Hoth? Is that you know? Is that a desert? It's Tatooine. <laughs> and I liked being on this planet that was snow, but clearly not Hoth with the Force. I thought it looked great too. I really liked this opening, really, really because of of Caleb slash Kanan, honestly, um, because I thought it also really paralleled nicely with the, like, it set up nicely the tension between Hunter and Crosshair of what to do about Caleb slash Kanan. And I thought that it worked really well because while I was watching this, right, you know, I'm coming into this, you know, before seeing Caleb Dune that, you know, Bad Batch are quote unquote heroes. There are protagonists what's going to happen. I think um, we've always kind of believed that they 
didn't have the inhibitor chip or it didn't work the same way with them. And that was part of their mutation. So it was always kind of like a, I don't think they're going to immediately attack the Jedi when Order 66 happens, if they'd happen to be around Jedi. Right. This is all before the show came out. And so um, knowing that I was kind of rooting for them and then seeing that they were the ones with Caleb when that happened, I was like, all right. I know that this doesn't end well or else Kanan in Rebels would have a completely different view of the clones, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think he would have more of an understanding of what was happening at the time. Um, But we know that that's not actually what happens with Kanan um, if you are familiar at all with Rebels. So it was interesting to watch it knowing that they weren't going to succeed, really that Hunter wasn't going to succeed in trying to reach out to Caleb and what I wasn't expecting was like so immediately was that it was going to be crosshair that was going to actively hunt Caleb Mm -hmm. down um all the while Hunter is trying to reach out to Caleb that I think was really kind of the shocking point for me personally when I was watching this I, I really didn't expect crosshair to kind of go against Hunter so immediately (laughs) to this kid for this kid, this kid Padawan, honestly, it was, it was really jarring. Yeah, it really was. Um, I thought this beginning was really perfect. Even know that some people are going to be talking about this online and I immediately reached for my Kane and the last Padawan comic books. It aligns with that, not perfectly, but it aligns with it. And I think that's kind of Dave Filoni's okay with that. And I am too, <laughs> by the way, I am totally fine with that. Uh, and I, but I think that for me, what you mentioned, I feel like is maybe the more important piece of Kanan's own, um, how he views the clones and how we see that in Rebels, because that's an important piece to when the clones are introduced in Rebels. And I was happy to see that sort of kind of followed through that linkage happen a little bit. Um, overall, I thought this was a really, really intense, really fun 70-minute film, basically. I I feel like it was a really strong intro, and I liked it better the second time I watched it. I I feel like it, it the first time I watched it, I was, I guess I was just, I, I'm always like this with every Star Wars. I'm like overwhelmed. I'm excited. I can't wait just to get going and everything. And then the second time I watched it, I'm like, wow, this is really good. The writing's really great. The flow yeah. of this is really good. We're going to all these different places. I don't necessarily think it felt like three separate episodes. Like, sometimes other when they do like these long premieres sometimes do even though I if I feel like it is because it has three different directors and they were like oh let's just combine them all together which is makes sense but I didn't get a sense that it was anything different from like a a short film basically yeah it's not even that short 70 minutes so <laughs> I I I didn't feel like I thought the pacing was totally fine and um, I'm so intrigued for more. I cannot wait. I really like the new characters introduced. I thought the conflicts that set up, were set up were really interesting. And I have to say, I think that something I was worried about going into the show was, will I care that much about the Bad Batch as characters? I liked them a lot in the Clone Wars, but will I care enough about them? Um, are they going to do a good enough job of distinguishing their differences in a way that makes me excited about their arcs and I'm super excited about Hunter's arc in particular and I think that's what they were setting up to do because I I would say Hunter as the leader of the Bad Batch will have a, a really interesting arc and I'm really excited to 
carefully watch him. I also really like his character, and I think he's super attractive. So there's that. Carefully watch him. Yes. <laughs> All we do is carefully watch Star Wars. <laughs> yep. Yes. I think, I think that's an interesting point, though, about the character development of The Bad Batch. Um, because, you know, I still think right now, like, characters like... I think that characters like uh, prior to this episode... Hunter and Echo were really the ones that kind of had the most, like, the most dimension to them. I don't want to say development, but the most dimension. And in this episode, I would say we kind of factored Crosshair into that in the beginning. Um, I guess more with that tension with Hunter. But I still think that overall, you know, Wrecker and Tech are still kind of one-dimensional right now. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see what journeys they go on throughout the series, because I think you're right. Like Hunter is the leader of the group. Um, He is the one who is like dealing with what Crosshair is doing. He's the one that's kind of leading these decisions that go against what Tarkin is telling them to do. Right. Like when they end up on Onderon, he's the one that's like, we're not going to shoot these children. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like i'm drawing the line and i you know like wrecker and tech are like yeah agreed but it's really hunter that's kind of driving that i guess like almost that like moral compass and that mm-hmm. action of what they're doing and where they're going and um crosshair i think kind of got pulled into that but you know now that individuality is kind of stripped from him or i guess i should say that um you know, actually, I take that back because he could totally have like a really great redemption arc. But yep, where we leave him, so. and I don't even want to call it a redemption arc, but where mm. we leave him at the end of this episode, he um, is kind of completely, he seems even more under control of his um, inhibitor chip, of his implant, uh, than really maybe even any of the other clones. And they've like turned up that personality trait 110%, right? Um, so anyway, all that to say is I'm really interested to see what development they do give Wrecker and Tech um, because I think that they are probably the ones that need it most right now. I can kind of see, you know, like with Echo, we have him dealing with what happened to him, the trauma of what happened to him in the Clone Wars and what that means for his overall humanity. And we even hear, uh, who is it, Tech later on in the episode who says, you're more the machine than man now, right? Like literally verbatim, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're more machine than man, at least by the numbers or percentage wise, I think is what he says. And um, that's something that we saw Echo kind of wrestle with too in season seven of the Clone Wars. And then of course we have Hunter who is the leader of the group. And, you know, like I already said, kind of going through this moral dilemma of what the group is going to do and where they're going to go. So I am really interested to see, to see the overall arcs for these characters as we move throughout the series. I'm really glad you brought up that quote from Echo because I know we're kind of jumping ahead here, but this is what we do on our reaction episodes. I thought that was a really good line. You're more machine now than man that Tech says to Echo because obviously like as a Star Wars fan who knows the movies inside and out, we're like, haha, interesting line choice. (laughs) Um, But it makes a really good parallel, I think, in a way that shows that vader's choices are completely different from echoes so echo is a good person he he has more humanity than in his inside of him than machine and i think that even struggling with that and knowing that he in struggling with his past like you mentioned is a really interesting parallel to vader who we know is 
dark because of his own choices, but Echo is good because of his choices after that, too. I, I think that it all goes back to how the Clone Wars did such a freaking good job of exploring the humanity of the clones so much so that we have a show <laughs> all about them, which is awesome. I think that also when you talk about um, Crosshair and Hunter being the two characters that are sort of more well-rounded based off of the 70-minute episode, I think that happens because immediately within that first 10 minutes of the show, the conflict between Hunter and Crosshair is presented. And I think that it, it really made an interesting dilemma between the group that was exacerbated throughout the entire episode that really set Hunter in his own you know, goodness, right? His ability to do the right thing, which comes up on Onderon too, um, up at odds with Crosshair and seeing this sort of like infighting between the Bad Batch was really interesting. But the fact of the matter is we didn't necessarily see that with any of the other clones in Clone Force 99. So it it wasn't like Tech or Wrecker really had a problem with Crosshair's attitude. If if that happened, it was like a, a quick line. It wasn't as it wasn't the focus like it was in, with Hunter. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just because I think it really worked for me to understand Hunter's own character um, for him to sort of question these things. Uh, but I it'll be interesting to see how the other clones in the group react to that later down the line, I guess, um, because we didn't necessarily see that here. But I think that's purposeful because if we were going to focus on every single clone member here it would be a lot of different um sort of emotions that we we're focusing on when it this way we get a more f <laughs> I, I just said this but a more focused like line between um the conflict here which i thought was really smart to set that up immediately right away yeah yeah i totally agree i think that it makes sense to have this first episode based around hunter really like he's mm -hmm. kind of our pov character i would say um so i think it makes sense to really set and he is the leader right to set him up as you know our main main character in a way for bad batch um so yeah i i totally think it makes sense that as much time was spent on him in this episode and I, I think it was great, the tension that was set up between him and Crosshair. And you brought up a good point because I was really interested in the fact that there were – that no one else in the Bad Batch, like, seemed to, like, side with Crosshair on what had happened um, as far as, like, letting Caleb go and then kind of all of his surliness afterwards – um, he's he's always like that's his personality, right? We we've seen that before. That's nothing new. But I thought it was interesting that they don't, you know, that Tech wasn't like, yeah, Crosshair's right. You should have killed the Padawan, you know. Um, that none of them really took that side, and I think that shows, like like you said, more of like their personality. I think I think the Bad Batch is an interesting. They have like an interesting dynamic together because even while all of this kind of really uh, important tension is happening between Crosshair and Hunter. Like at some point, Crosshair leaves the group to go write up Hunter, right, for leaving the Padawan alive. Um, mm -hmm. He files a report against his own crew. But 
all throughout that, they're being tested together, like when they're basically in like the box simulator and they're doing all of that together. And Crosshair is, you know, he's immediately 100% on. And even when they um, get captured first, they're all together. And he follows Hunter's lead when they leave Onderon to go back to Kamino. Um, they all still really work well together, even when they're having this kind of internal conflict. It's only once really Tarkin steps in and kind of forcibly makes a change to Crosshair that they really are split apart. And even after that happens, like right when they're in the prison, after they escape, Hunter's first thing is, we got to go find Crosshair. So even though they have this tension between them and this conflict between them, they are still a unit and they're still family. And mm-hmm. I like that Hunter has this belief that like, he's still like part of our crew and we still belong together and that that conflict doesn't really matter to him at that point. What matters to him is getting Crosshair back. It's only once he realizes that, you know, something has happened to Crosshair that they make the decision to leave. But I, I guarantee you, like, that's obviously not the last time they're all going to come into contact with each other. No, 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 no. That's yeah. the main conflict of the show. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's so interesting that even through all of that, Crosshair was also kind of actively working against them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's a very interesting internal dynamic between the group. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. So from the moment when Crosshair says good soldiers follow orders in the snow in the very beginning, yeah. and it's really haunting, you honestly. Know. It's, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's it's really haunting because you're like, oh, 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 let's that ship is working. Oh, no. I think the show sets him up as the other in the group. And you're right that there's this kind of beautiful humanity in Hunter and being like, there's something up with Crosshair, but he's still part of our family. He's... He's part of the Bad Batch. And I think it's really interesting because Crosshair is set up as the bad one, but everything we know about the clones and what we learned in the Clone Wars, the question really is, is he's not bad. It's not his fault. His He's being mind controlled by the Empire. And, you know, he's out here with a huge gun trying to gun them down and everything. And I... I feel like what you said earlier is is true. I feel like we're it's we're setting it, us up for a quasi redemption arc. Redemption arc's a hard hard thing to say, but this episode does a really good job of asking like is Crosshair's chip actually inhibited or is this him or what's happening here and how much is is this him versus the chip inside his head? Like it all goes back to Star Wars being about choices and everything, but what happens when the empire itself removes that ability to have the cho- have to give yourself the choice and what happens when you as you you have to face that as a friend and things like that and i i think the show did a really great job of setting that up and i can't wait to see where it goes because i wonder what would happen what if what if crosshair's chip gets removed and he still chooses to side with the empire or not um all these things could be really interesting overall star wars is tragedy and <laughs> It was really rough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about the inhibitor chip because this obviously is kind of the underlying piece of the episode is the Bad Batch kind of discovering what that really means. And like you said, I think this episode does a really good job of making us question if Crosshair's chip is actually working. Is it not working? Is this his real personality who's like 
good soldiers follow orders or is his chip still turned on like 30% where the others in Bad Batch is at 0%, right? Like I think I think it does a good job of kind of asking what are his actual morals when we're kind of led to believe that the Bad Batch operate on their own, that they can think for themselves. This is something they talk a lot about. And even when they're on Andron, I, for, I don't remember what um, Hunter says, but he basically says so much as like, we don't we we follow orders, but only when they make sense. And he's like, Crosshair, don't you see this doesn't make sense? And Crosshair is like, No, good soldiers follow orders. There's all this also this piece when they're kind of all back in the Bad Batch Bachelor Pad, which I love their whole little setup there. We stand the Bad Batch Bachelor Pad. <laughs> we really do. I want to take a tour of it. I love how they have this great, you know, like panoramic window on the side. I'm like. I've seen barracks for clones in other parts of Clone Wars, and it did not look that nice. No, this is special. This, <laughs> this is, is special. like the cool hangout. It's so it fun. <laughs> what, I, what I love is, I I think it's like midway through the like near the end of the first third of the seventy minute episode when they kind of all get back. Um, and Tech, of course, is into everything. He mentions kind of hearing chatter about Order sixty six via clone intelligence. Which I don't know if I've if they've ever brought up clone intelligence before. Basically, I guess like another radio frequency that they're talking to each other on. I know someone. I they have. I'm I sure they, they have. have. I don't yeah. remember, but if someone wants to let me know, tell me. This is the first time I've noticed them say it, and I thought it was interesting. But then Tech also says later on that it's well documented about the inhibitor chip, <laughs> and I said Tech. <laughs> Where is this well documented? Because everyone else seems super shocked about the the chip inside their head that has a kill switch, basically. Yeah, yeah, legit. And Tech's over here like, well documented, but they're all still, you know, question mark, what's going on here? And it's really not until they see what happens with Crosshair that... I think they understand just how big of a deal it is. And after the episode, you and I were talking about this because one of one something I had commented on was I was like, they don't seem that shocked to me. Like the Bad Batch didn't seem that shocked to me about what was happening, about the whole, you know, total destruction of the Jedi. And I was like, I would expect them to be more shocked. That's kind of how I thought it would go. Uh, but they just kind of go back to Camino and are like, let's see what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. But you brought up a good point of how when they're all in that meeting, meeting, assembly with Palpatine uh, and Palpatine says, you know, the Jedi attacked me. The Bad Batch can see that pretty clearly. And I think they say so much to Saw Gerrera later on in Onderon. And they're like, yeah, well, the Jedi attacked. Uh, it's easy cl- to believe. It's easy yeah. to believe because you you are looking at someone that you've known in politics as the head of the galaxy for a long time. And yeah. now they, they look like he says scarred and deformed. And you're like, oh, my God. Wow. I feel like yeah. it, it, I would I would believe the broadcast at least initially until someone told me otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a really good point because I hadn't really thought about it that way because I, it's like, I just, I'm like, are you not caught up on Star Wars? Bad Batch, <laughs> like I am. Don't you know he's lying? <laughs> it's so obvious. <laughs> but they're not. They haven't seen it yet. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't watched the Star Wars. No. <laughs> they haven't watched the Star Wars. Anyway, I thought that was a good point. And, but I'm still very interested in how Tech says it's well documented about the inhibitor chip, but they aren't kind of 
putting the pieces together yet that someone could use that inhibitor chip. I don't think they understand yet that someone could switch it on like that. I think they think it means that like their behavior is kind of controlled and they're more like compliant and amenable. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if I think they really understand that that inhibitor chip meant that someone was like total destruction go and turned it on. I think perhaps they think that they received an order that they were that the other clones were told that the Jedi started an attack and now they had to attack back. You know, I don't I don't think they know the full story, which I don't think really anyone knows the full story. So I was glad that we had that conversation because I thought it made a lot of sense. And it's also like, well, what do you want to believe? Like, if you're in this thing, you want to believe that you're on the right side. And I think that that's a lot of what we're going to hear them talking about throughout this series of, okay. And I think Crosshair says something about like Republic, Empire, it's just a different name, which is mm-hmm. true. We see this a lot throughout Star Wars of it's just another name. I mean, Maz Kanata and The Force Awakens is like, I've seen so many different shades of the Empire and now the First Order and, you know, all and then the final order. And so it is just a new name. And I think that the Bad Batch will be kind of I hope that they eventually at some point in this show get to the truth of all of these other clones were not only like had their behavior controlled, but were actively manipulated like robots to do what they did and kind of what that means. And I think that would be really interesting also because they do have such a contentious relationship with the other clones. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. And, and I think that this first episode does a good job of showing that when they get when they finally arrive on Camino and they accidentally kind of bump into that other clone and I don't I forget who says it, but one of them says uh, just the same as always, you know, I feel like it's it's not that different for them to be treated as other. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly. And so I think I I wonder what what they would do once what they will do once they find out that this inhibitor chip is a lot more than it seems, even though it's, you know, apparently well documented. Like, please share with the glass deck. Like, will they have compassion for the clones? I think they will. I hope they do. That's like what I want to believe in their characters, especially when we're thinking like I, I find myself thinking a lot about spoilers for season seven of Clone Wars, but victory and death and the whole last two episodes of season seven where Rex is kind of grappling with what to do about these clones that have these inhibitor chips. He knows it's not their fault, but he also knows there's no way to survive if they don't kill them. And like how heartbreaking that is for him. And Rex is just, you know, a quote unquote reg. Um, And those are clones that he has relationships with. And so I don't know. I just I wonder what will happen once our Bad Batch kind of figure out what's going on. And if they are going to try and do anything, reach out, quote unquote, save any clones that they come across. I don't know. I Like how cool would that be if. Like, the Bad Batch becomes this rogue group, right? Like, they already are. But their purpose now is to remove inhibitor chips from clones that they come across. Well, that brings up a really good point, Caitlin, actually, that I hadn't thought about. Because let's talk about just, like, intro to Omega a little bit. Omega is a medical assistant. So we already have someone who... Wait, I'm going to stop you. That's what we're told she is. Okay, we're told she's that. But 
we don't know what her strengths or her mutations are at all. We they don't they don't discuss it. But what we do find out about her is that she's a medical assistant, and we see her when Echo wakes up, and she says, "I don't like being connected either." You know, all that kind of stuff. It would be interesting because if, if your theory is correct, where maybe they help other clones remove their inhibitor chips. Now they have someone on the team who's a medical assistant who potentially knows stuff about how to remove that. And even in the season seven of The Clone Wars, when Ahsoka is able to help Rex remove that that chip, it's like a it's a process. It's it's yeah, it's brain surgery. It's literally brain surgery. (laughs) So like (laughs) it's it's a lot. And I think that by having someone on the on the team who maybe could help with that might fill Omega's like place on the team she already has a place on the team but I don't know it could work I yeah I definitely think it could kind of to go back to this theory of them like saving other clones and removing inhibitor chips I think this actually would go would do a lot in our larger topic that we talk a lot about which is slavery in the galaxy and how it's not something that is ever super addressed or handled in Star Wars like it's something that's always kind of in the background but We don't actively see a lot of stories making that center stage, really aside from The Phantom Menace. Um, And that has its own kind of issues as far as the slavery theme goes, just because Qui-Gon Jinn is not there to save all slaves. He's just there for Anakin. Um, And we can talk about that later, and we have. (laughs) But if, like, the whole purpose of The Bad Batch eventually becomes to like bring back freedom of choice and and freedom of their lives to these clones that have been created for the sole purpose of war and then are manipulated um, and controlled. It's, it's even past manipulation. It's literally controlled like a droid, like a robot to do the empire's bidding. Or even if they're just completely exterminated because Tarkin, you know, doesn't think that clones are, worth it to keep producing you know I don't know I just I think that there's something there um, that could go I think into that like larger theme of like captivity that we see in Star Wars in a lot of different places honestly and if it was something more large scale what the Bad Batch is able to do I, I don't know I just wanted to mention it I think it could it could be a really great storyline yeah I think that we will see more clones and um different people throughout the galaxy we even see in the trailer we see rex coming soon and i'm sure he'll he will have interesting news to tell them about the removal of his chip so to go back to yeah your theory uh he's someone who that happened to you know and he experienced order 66 and probably has a lot of trauma from it so unpacking that will be really interesting and seeing what the next steps are for them i i've said this for a while when the show was announced but i think the name of the show the bad batch actually means so much more than just clone force 99 and kind of is this sort of (laughs) gathering place of like i don't know i think about it as like the island of misfit toys almost like all these people who have a bunch of baggage about their time in the war and what what their uses like quote unquote uses were and how do they find that peace after their use is up and you know Ahsoka and Rex have that amazing conversation in season seven about the war and um, Rex says something along the lines of you know we clones have a lot of mixed feelings about the war because we're created Ugh. for this purpose and um but when the war comes to an end, what is our purpose? And Ahsoka's like, well, at least we, you know, 
that brought me to you. And Ahsoka's like, at least some good came from it, you know? So good. Like, Ouch. makes me a little tear even saying. <laughs> um, but I feel like that is exactly it, right? Is how do you deal with that question afterwards? And I, it, it was clear that Rex was dealing with it in real time during the war. And now the war is over. And there's this new one that Saw Gerrera, oh my God, Saw Gerrera is in this, um, brings up that, yeah, the Clone War might be ending, but the Civil War is just beginning. So what's your place in it? What are you going to do? It's, this is about the choice that you're going to make here. Um, because I have a gun to your your chest, and <laughs> if you you got to make the choice now, um, and we're gonna leave, and yeah, uh, I thought that was really interesting. So uh, right up off the bat, I feel like the show is presenting these interesting questions about choices, and the uh, the, sh- the entire title of this episode is called Aftermath. It's it's dealing yeah. with what happens after. Yeah, and I think it's good, honestly, because. You know, I, I kind of touched on how I thought that the Bad Batch would be more shocked about what was going on. And I think I I expected them to kind of immediately jump into action and like on the run. Anyway, so I think it was great that they, you know, slowed things down and took them back to Camino, back to headquarters for them to just kind of try and see what was going on and figure out how they're supposed to still work in this new, you know, setup uh, with the empire. What does that even mean that it's an empire now? Okay. The separatist leadership has collapsed. What, what does that look like from Camino, from headquarters? What are we supposed to do? And I think they spend like the first half uh, 45, 50 minutes of the episode, like kind of trying to do what they're told more or less. Like mm-hmm. they go where Tarkin tells them to go. They get through the test, even though they're really peeved about how it went, right? Like they comment that it's, you know, it's different. Like, I can't believe they shot live fire at us, but we still, you know, got a hundred percent on this test. Like we're still valuable clones, right? It's not until the end of the episode when they really realize that this is not, that they don't belong here anymore, that they can't be here anymore. And so I'm glad that we like rather, like I said, rather than them kind of splitting off immediately at the beginning of the episode, I'm glad they had this time to uh, really realize back on Camino. Uh, that they needed to change course. One thing I thought was really interesting about the show is the intro of Camino as a home base. I think that we'll probably see the clones some somewhere in the future of this season or next season return home and it will have been changed. And because that just feels very tropey, it feels very uh, natural in the story, considering they established it as a place of comfort where in, and it suddenly became a place of uncomfort, obviously, when they're basically chased off of it. And I think the morals of the Kaminoans are kind of up for debate, especially they've always been like that, right? In Attack of the Clones, we've been like, oh my gosh, these people are pretty secretive, pretty formal. They Their system has appeared off of maps for so long. And what are they doing here in this clone facility? I still find that whole sequence in Attack of the Clones very confusing. It's okay. And I, I feel like in this episode as well, I was left with, they have interesting motivations. I'm sure they're a little trepidatious about the Empire being there. And it's pretty clear that they don't really know. They're very protective over their clones and their cloning facility. And they're, they kind of take umbrage to the fact that Tarkin is kind of insulting the whole thing, uh, which I get. And I think <laughs> you come here to my rainy to my, planet and insult yeah. my cloning facility. And we're the best in the galaxy in front like, of my salad. 
right in front of my salad and I <laughs> right in front of my my clones and I think that it's it's really interesting though because I don't know how this relationship between Tarkin and the Kaminoans is going to continue on. I feel like there's a weird sense of tension there. But okay, let's talk about Omega. We've kind of glossed over Omega because she's like this big puzzle piece to the whole Bad Batch. And we I felt like we needed to talk about other stuff before we talked about Omega. But let's talk about Omega. I just want to say up front, I really like Omega. I think she's great. I really like that she's in the show and she makes a really makes for a really great addition to the Bad Batch. What are your thoughts, Caitlin? I really love her. I think it's it feels so right to have this kind of young kid mm-hmm. uh, be front and center in this show. I wouldn't say that Omega is quite front and center yet, but she's definitely, you know, off center. <laughs> like, <laughs> big player. Because, you know, like this, this is a kid's show at the end of the day. And it's important to have that vehicle for kids to – experience the show through with clone wars it was ahsoka with rebels it was ezra with resistance it was kaz even though kaz was like a little bit more aged up than he was uh, silly he He was was silly silly. yeah Yeah. he was childlike and now for bad batch it's omega and i think it makes perfect sense and and even in mandalorian we have grogu you know like (laughs) it makes sense and i just i love I think she's really cool. I think she knows a lot. Um, we You touched on this earlier, but like what is her mutation? I, I'm very interested in her mutation because she seems to have almost like a sixth sense about things. Mm-hmm. This wasn't something – I picked this up really on my second time watching, but when they're all in the prison cell and she tells Crosshair they're, – they're sitting – Crosshair sits down next to her and she goes, you're upset. <laughs> Crosshair's like – how perceptive of you. <laughs> it's just <laughs> but then uh Omega gets really serious and she says, um, I know what you're going to do, and it's not your fault. And I just thought that was so kind of chilling what she said. And I'm pretty sure she like touches his arm too and like a it's not your fault, it's okay kind of gesture. And I don't know, I just thought that was so chilling because I didn't even realize. I thought she just meant like turning them in or that she knew that Crosshair had written the report against Hunter. That's what I thought she was referring to. But I actually think she was referring to him eventually like hunting them down. And I think he will continue to hunt for them uh, in future episodes. But that like whole shootout, I I don't know. I think she knew that that was going to happen. And the other piece of it, too, is her being able to pick up the blaster and immediately get the upper hand on Crosshair in the final shootout as they were leaving the hangar. Whoa. (laughs) She, she, (laughs) the aim, she hit his blaster or, like, his hand or something. That's what she hit. She didn't just, like, throw a throwaway shot. She aimed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hunter's like, where'd you learn to do that? She's like, I did not. (laughs) So First time firing a blaster. Like, oh, my God. Okay, cool. Oh, my God. I think so. I think it's something about like intuitiveness. I I don't know. Like she's able almost like to absorb skills from other people. I don't know. I think there's something there almost Mm -hmm. maybe similar to Hunter, how Hunter has like those increased senses, I think is what his mutation is, is technically Um, something like that. But yeah, her telling Crosshair that she knew what he was going to do and that it wasn't his fault was just really chilling and kind of um, sad. Have to put this out there. Have to put this out there. It has to be out there. Do you think she's force sensitive? She could be. I think she could be because if if you can sense that sort of emotion, it wouldn't be surprised. Like 
like she could be injected with midi chlorians or something like yeah. that, you know. And I, I feel like we're seeing that sort of technology already in the Mandalorian. So yeah, I'm sure definitely. they want to fill that out in some way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The thing about Camino Cam- is that it Camino really kind of is the nexus for so many plot threads in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's kind of crazy. Like we've already kind of touched on this like slavery component that we see throughout Star Wars, um, which is kind of shown on Camino with like the agency of the clones. Right? We have the secrecy of the Jedi and what happened. Uh, with even the production of the clones with Sifo-Dyas. I think the other piece with uh, Kamino is the theme that we see really represented best in The Last Jedi of who does war benefit but investors. And Kamino, the Kaminoans really, I think that's their ultimate goal with the Empire, right? They're trying to get Tarkin to sign a new contract. Um, That's what they yeah, that's what they want. They want to make sure they still have a steady stream of income. And then we also have this whole cloning matter, which we know is, you know, is very prevalent all the way through the rise of Skywalker. And we see it explicitly referenced in Mandalorian. So with Grogu and his midichlorians, that's a big piece of why they want him. And that the I can't remember his name right now, but he's a scientist from Camino, right? Yeah. In the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So we need to pay attention to Camino. <laughs> and I think I think you're absolutely right that it's it's all uh, I think that's a good question to ask about her force sensitivity if she even has just kind of elevated sensitivity. Maybe she's not able to utilize the force in the same way that a Jedi can, but even just having like some midi-chlorians, imagine because imagine if they're trying to create like the next level of the bad batch the next level of the bad batch is to give you a force sensitive person who is controlled and i would not be surprised at all i think you're totally right that that is something that the kaminoans are trying to do um the one thing i will say that is really interesting about how all of that played out is at the end in the shootout the Kaminoan who is with, who's kind of in charge of Omega, she's mm-hmm. the one that keeps the door open in the hangar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's the one that, like, lets them go. She knows that Omega is with them, and she's the one that lets them go. Because I think it's one of the other clones. They're like, the door won't close. Someone's manually overriding it. And it's her. And she doesn't tell that to the other guy. She's just like, they got away <laughs> with Omega. Yeah. And anyway, I think all of that is very interesting. I think you're totally right that they would want to make a Force-sensitive clone. I mean, that's the ultimate end game, right? A Force-sensitive clone that you can control. Isn't this Kaminoan, I think her name is Nala Say, super shady? I swear we've seen her before, and she tried to tamper with everything that had to do with the the inhibitor chip employing Order 66. And that was really shady. And I think it's season two of The Clone Wars, right? Yeah, I I don't remember exactly, but we've definitely seen her before, and she's shady. Yeah, I don't really know what her deal is, which because she's she's one of the engineer scientists behind the clones. Omega is her medical assistant, so she's pretty heavily involved with the clones. So it's interesting why she would ultimately let Omega go. Yeah, there's a lot there to unpack, and I think we're gonna see it. Yeah, I think I think we definitely will. I feel like I bristle a little bit when it comes to cloning storylines just because it feels easy. But once you've introduced this sort of material to canon, 
it's hard to ignore that the fact that in order for Camino to level up their business, how else would they they need to experiment with um cloning people other than Django Fat, right? <laughs> like Django Fat is is great, but wouldn't it be better if they cloned someone who has force sensitivity or were able to put whatever makes someone force sensitive into someone else and all of that is there. I mean, I I think that it it comes up obviously in The Rise of Skywalker too. And I know that there's been a lot of theories about whether or not Omega is like a Palpatine clone. I don't know if I I would go that far. She certainly looks different than the others. I don't even think she's a Jango Fett clone um, that was like altered to be female. I, I don't, I don't know if she is. I don't, I don't think she is because she has blonde hair, but that doesn't really, cha- I don't know. That doesn't really mean anything. So I, I, I don't know. There's a lot there. And I will admit that Omega does present a little bit of a mystery box of who is she? Where does she come from? And why is she here? And wh- how, what is her story? That's a little scarring to me just from the sequel trilogy, the journey of giving someone a last name. Yeah, But that doesn't mean that the story itself isn't super interesting to me. Like, I really do think that it would be, I think it would be cool if Omega was at least slightly force sensitive, maybe not that powerful, but had that bit of her that was her strength and mutation because she has this ability to use like the compassion, the feeling, the the foresight, you know, that other people don't have because she's has that ability. Um, I think that it's funny that Dave Filoni has a trope, you know, <laughs> of introducing a cute character to like burly male characters to soften them mm-hmm. and to show them compassion. And honestly, I love this trope. I think it's one of my favorites. And the lone wolf and cub, cub of it all, I think is just, <laughs> it's so great. And I, I, when this, when she was introduced, I was like, this is, I'm sure, because like we mentioned, we haven't seen any sort of reactions online, but I I could bet money on there being a backlash against this character, which is probably such a shame. But um, I don't know; it hasn't happened yet, so maybe not. <laughs> uh, but I'm just I I feel like I'm I'm here to defend Omega. Is all I'm saying. I think she's so cute. The way she's that so she, cute. She was the one that found. She like found the bad batch first. She's like, you finally came home, and they're like, I'm sorry, who are you? Yeah, I've been waiting. <laughs> and and I love oh my gosh one cute moment is when they're in the the prison cell and she's mimicking everything that Hunter's doing she puts her her head on her fist and then like it's it's so cute I love that and it's it's adorable because Omega is that fifth part of Clone Force ninety nine she's the fifth Bad Batch member she's part of the group she belongs there yeah. and I think it's really interesting because i'm sure she's like i feel so different for all of her life she's probably felt I, who knows how long her life is because of like growth growth acceleration right um <laughs> i i i feel like she's probably like oh my gosh there's clones that are just like me who have different like genetic mutations but i've never yeah. met them and what are they like and so when she sees them she's like oh my gosh one of like just like me just like me just like me and i think that's really cute <laughs> Yeah, especially like, you know, you think about growth acceleration, you know, someone like Boba, like Boba wasn't there or yeah. or were they there together? How long has she been there? Um, oh my gosh. Who knows? Yeah. Like, would she have had a friend? Oh, my God. Boba and Omega as friends. Listen, That's it's cute. cute. I'm listen. <laughs> That's cute. I'm a new Boba Fett fan. 
<laughs> courtesy of 2020, which <laughs> makes sense for such a cursed year to make me a Boba Fett fan. Yep. Honestly. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, like I, I'm okay with like a tiny boba having an omega friend. <laughs> yeah, same. That's cute. <laughs> I think it is cute. Yeah, I think I I love I love Omega. I think she's I think she's super cute. If I if we can just divert for a second to talk about cute moments, um, the food fight. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like so here for like angsty moments, and then suddenly like a food fight's breaking out in the cafeteria, and I was like. What? I just thought it was so fun. Classic and Star Wars animation. Cla- classic Star Wars food fight. Um, yeah. Like, it's such a bummer because we had our food episode, our food and Star Wars episode last year. And there was, uh-huh. I don't think we had any food fight to include in no. it. Anyway, I loved the food fight, food fight episode, probably one of my favorite uh, parts of the episode. And I loved that... <laughs> That clone that walks by, I died, you guys. I died. He's like, oh, another member of the sad batch. <laughs> I just <laughs> the fact that there are other clones insulting the bad batch by calling them the sad batch. <laughs> just like it's so juvenile. It is so juvenile. <laughs> I love it so much. The sad batch. I just think it's so funny, and I loved that Omega just stands on top of the bench and throws her plate at this this guy, and then later we see that it's Wrecker who throws, like, the entire table, and this whole food fight comes out. I th- To make it, like, serious, it's a great parallel moment, though, to the end of the episode when it's Wrecker who needs help, and it's... True. Omega who fires the shot um, against Crosshair. It's, you know, to go from, like, a really fun moment to, like, a serious parallel is good. I think that Rutger and Omega are going to have a really good bond. And I think that was already started based off of Omega grabbing his Tuka. I think he calls it his Lula, which I think is really cute. Um, uh, Basically, Omega saves the Tuka doll. And I thought, number one, where do I buy this Tuka doll? Because it looks really big and fluffy and it looks really cozy. Yeah, it's record size, but it's also it can be me sized and I'm here for it. (laughs) Um, And I thought that was really cute. First off, that record is a stuffed animal. We stand. And second, totally. that sh- she saved it for him because she knows because she like studied his their room. I just feel like they're gonna have a really good connection. Yeah, the droid that was with Omega, I really loved too. When they, she sneaks into the Bad Batch bachelor pad, and he's like, "What are we doing here?" And she's like, "Um, research." He's like, "Oh, <laughs> I love research." He's like, "What are we researching? What about this? What about that?" And then he like comes across the part like the head of a battle droid, and it like totally freaks him out. <laughs> I loved that droid. Why did he die right away? I know. It was so sad. It really bummed me out. Especially, I think he's the medical droid, too, that was helping Echo in the beginning. And when he meets the rest of the Bad Batch and he goes, I really hate to tell you, but all of you are genetically mutated. I will let you process this difficult information. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. (laughs) I love Tech's response, too, I really loved where he's like, Echo's like we got a problem then and Tech goes ah it's fine we're more deviant than deformed or whatever he <laughs> says so that was really funny anyway I, I really like Omega the other piece of this that I think kind of talking about the character development of the Bad Batch all together is Hunter and his relationship to Omega because I thought it was interesting how he uh, you know in the beginning he's like you shouldn't be with us you shouldn't sit with us 
the other clones don't like us. Like, don't associate yourself with us and stay here. Even though Omega is telling him throughout the whole episode how much she wants to be with the Bad Batch. But it's only once they're on Onderon and Tech kind of confirms, right? I think that this is also the interesting piece with the Kaminoans and Tarkin, too. Tech tells them that Omega is the fifth member of the Bad Batch. And Tech is like, yeah, I think everyone thinks it's Echo, but like it's not, right? Like he's not <laughs> a member of the Bad Batch. So he wasn't genetically mutated. Um, he just became like this through what happened on Skago Minor. But it's actually Omega. And Tech's like, yeah, I, you know, I tested it, you know, an hour ago. It's fine. I got it. <laughs> and it's only at that juncture that something like suddenly switches for Hunter where he's like, oh, well, if she's one of us, then we must go back and get her. And I thought this was interesting because I was like, okay, what does it mean that Hunter only wants to go back for Omega once he realizes that she is genetically mutated like the rest of them? I think it is that familiarity. And something that I think we'll be talking a lot about this season is, of course, like the individuality and the identity of the clones, which is going to be a huge theme for this. And I always thought it was really fascinating because regular regs right like clones like rex and fives and and even echo and and cody and all the clones we know from the clone wars there is this big push for them to have this sense of individuality it's why they don't go by numbers that they are given names select names for themselves they have different hairstyles they decorate their uh, helmets differently they have different manners of speaking they kind of take whatever pieces of individuality they can get But when there's someone like the Bad Batch who is actually different, like physically and mentally different, they're ostracized by the other clones. And I think that is really interesting, like division, because we know that the clones value individuality um, Mm -hmm. through whatever they can get, like their names, for example, and how important that is to them, too. But when they are given this group of clones like the Bad Batch, is it? jealousy is it they're too different like what is it that makes it so that other clones hate the bad batch call them the sad batch but are actively mean to them too and don't consider them like part of the group and so i think that hunter and going back to omega he knows what they've been through and he knows that if people find out about omega that they would probably do that to her too and that is part of his push to go back for her and if Tarkin is not going to be pro bad batch and like basically try to get rid of them, then he'll probably do the same thing to Omega too. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think Hunter would want that for her regardless of where she was. So anyway, that's my spiel on that. Well, there's definitely the solidarity between having these genetic mutations. And it makes me think about how when you're a kid, it's always be different, be different. But it really is be different, but not too different. And I I feel like that's the vibe that you get from the the clones who look down upon the Bad Batch and call them the Sad Batch. I, I feel like it's, oh, those those guys are, they're, they're way out there. You know, they're not like us. We, good soldiers follow orders and they don't, and they're not a part of us. And I, yeah. I think that what's great about the Bad Batch, and I feel like I'm mentioning this a couple times, but it's you get so first off star wars does a really good job of like you mentioned establishing the individuality of the clones and then they do an even better job of establishing okay so 
what is what about that individual what if that individuality was like um exponentially greater and we had a group about called the bad batch and like what would those clones think of them what would other jedi think of them would they be at odds of each other because like would both of these groups be at odds of each other due to like a power imbalance and how do we explore that and i think that's what the show is doing just off of that if you have these like three spheres of competing abilities right you you understand why hunter feels a sense of solidarity with omega even if she's different she's like fully a different gender she doesn't look like them she's not as old as them she has never been in in combat before but still there's a sense of protectiveness it's just really interesting i can't wait to see where it goes and i can't wait to see what omega brings to the group really yeah especially like does she have like growth accelerators are we gonna see you know a teenager omega by season two i think we will intense yeah it is kind of intense (laughs) (laughs) i do wonder if her like headpiece is means anything about who she is or maybe even if she was cloned from someone else i don't don't know know. i think it's i think it's just a camino piece that was similar to the person Mm -hmm. she was helping the the caminoans have those at least like the the top ones do but it could you know you never know (laughs) probably does literally never know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um, we kind of glossed over going to Onderon, but if you are familiar with Sky Talkers at all, you know that the Onderon arc is one of our favorite arcs, Ugh. one of my favorite arcs in Clone Wars. Charlotte's too, though. It's yeah. such a good arc, the Onderon arc, man. And the only disappointment of this whole episode was that there was no Lux <laughs> on Onderon. <laughs> as soon as they said, go to Onderon, I was like, Lux? Lux Monteri, what you doing now, guy? <laughs> and uh, he was not there, and I was uh, very disappointed. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed seeing Saw again. Um, as per usual, we've got a different eye color of this iteration of Saw Gerrera, and it's it's green, right? Now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, every time we see Saw, he's a different eye color. And you know what? I think that when Rogue One happened. Everyone was like, not not everyone, but a certain group of people on the internet were were like, you know, something about Saw in the Clone Wars was that he had these really bright eyes and this is a different version. And the way that Star Wars has reacted to that is, you know what? Saw just changes his eye color all the time. (laughs) He just has colored contacts. And I love it. I love it. I'm here for that decision. The one luxury that Saw Guerrero allows himself in his entire (laughs) lifetime is colored contacts. And you know what? More power to you. I know, you deserve I it, Sakura. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's so funny. I will say I loved this part. I loved seeing Onderon. I thought the animation on Onderon was really great. You and I were talking so about this after we watched the episode of the like the light generator and oh how it looked so good. It's really good. And um and also the whole conversation between Crosshair and Hunter on Onderon, the like moon lighting, not like not like just regular lighting, like lighting of the moon <laughs> looked it looked really great. I thought it set the tone for their conversation really well. And it, it's it's symbolic, right? Like you have that generator, the light goes out, and we're kind of this is like the last real conversation between Crosshair and Hunter, and it kind of solidifies where they stand on this uh situation of what do good soldiers do? And it's it's really like the last civil conversation they have. Um, so I think it, it kind of 
you know, turning off this part of their relationship with the light. I think it worked really well. Just also wanted to mention that Saw Gerrera, the voice actor, was the original voice actor who voiced him in The Clone Wars uh, before Forrest Whitaker. So his name is Andrew Cascino, and he did voice Saw Gerrera originally in The Clone Wars too. So he was back for this iteration, for the green-eyed iteration of Saw Gerrera. So it's really nice that they were able to keep him around. Yeah, yeah, because we saw Forrest Whitaker do the voice in Rebels. And right after we watched this, I, you said I was surprised that it wasn't Forrest Whitaker. And I was like, actually, I think it's fine that it's not. It's it's yeah. good that they brought him back um, and that they can kind of alternate between these two voices. It's just like the contacts. It's let's yeah. rotate. Them. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Both are canon. It's it's great. It works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, will, I will say having Saul Guerrero back, we, we you touched on this earlier with Echo and like the whole conversation of more machine than man and how Star Wars is kind of always talking about this of like personal choice and what does it mean to be human? Uh, When have you lost your humanity? And using that as like a metaphor with people like Vader who are more machine than man, someone like Echo. We see this with Saw Gerrera. Saw Gerrera I think is like a great foil to uh, Vader because he even has like that kind of breathing apparatus going Mm -hmm. on in Rogue One. Um, just throwing that in there as part of our larger conversation of the use of mechanical parts in humans. And even we talk about this example a lot too, but in the book, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, uh, Brea has a mechanical heart that glows that Leia talks about quite fondly in that book too. So all these different kind of levels of machinery in people and what that can mean and how you view yourself after you have a certain amount of machinery, uh, if I'm describing that correctly. But again, all these kind of um, moral choices and dilemmas. And again, the ultimate question of what is it to be human in this period of Star Wars? And, and you know, as we <laughs> relate it back to the real world, too, of course, and like our own humanity and, and moral compass. Mm-hmm, exactly. I, I think the quote that Saw says to Hunter, you know, the old ways are done. You can either adapt and survive or die with the past. The decision is yours. I t- we touched on this before a little bit, but I thought this was really good because it really does make me wonder what role the Bad Batch will have in like the the seedlings and the beginnings of the rebellion. I didn't think that it was going to begin here, but now that they've made contact, it makes me wonder like if we can think about first episodes of shows kind of laying the groundwork about what to focus on and we can think about it as, okay, so it sets up the conflict between Crosshair. It sets up the conflict with the empire. It sets up the conflict with the fact that they're fugitives. Now we have a new character. And then also now we introduce the fact that the Bad Batch is aware of a civil war beginning versus, you know, the Clone Wars have ended and now the empire reigns. So now they're presented with this idea that, there's already conflict with the new regime and there's already a group of people and that he they found on Onderon that are fighting against it. And I, I it makes me wonder what choice they're going to make to help because we, we see that Rex is able to help the rebellion. And if they make contact with Rex, what does that mean? And what are the next steps? And is this like another form of like what we saw in Rebels? Um, Will it be more vicious than what we saw in Rebels? Because I think uh, if if we already made contact with Saw Gerrera, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. Lots lots of questions <laughs> kind of yeah. begin here. Um, but I think I just want to underscore my point of 
when you watch a first episode of a show, I do think that it lays a lot of groundwork in terms of questions to be raised. And this is one of them, you know? Yeah. The first episode of a show has a lot to do, especially one like this, like the pros and cons of this being basically an extension of the Clone Wars is what it feels like right now. We talked a lot about this when Bad Batch was announced, right? Of it being in the same art style, which is kind of how all animated shows have differentiated themselves because a big piece of that has been their art style and Bad Batch did not do that. It follows Clone Wars's style, which I think makes sense, um, but it did have like it has a job to do as far as differentiating itself from Clone Wars while flowing pretty closely to that story, especially with everything that we've seen so far. Characters like Saw, um, even like bringing up Rex, when and how will they meet in the future and all these things. I just, yeah, it it really is laying the foundation for a lot of things that are not going to be answered immediately (laughs) and will take some time to eventually tie up like these threads that they're kind of already showing us in episode one. It makes me wonder if it, if they're going to follow the arc style of the Clone Wars, because I definitely yeah. think that the Bad Batch is a sequel to the Clone Wars. And I think that it even establishes that with the first shot of the series, which is the Clone Wars logo burning away into the Bad Batch logo. Yeah. And that said, I am not sure if I fully agree that you have to not like you can watch this show without watching the Clone Wars. I think it's helpful to watch the Clone Wars. But I think the show does a good enough job of explaining the story. And if you're familiar with Star Wars, you can probably be familiar with these characters already because they are basically archetypes that need to be fleshed out further. I mean, the Bad Batch in general. Yeah, I I don't think you need to watch Clone Wars to enjoy Bad Batch. I think, you know, like with anything, the more you're familiar with this franchise and all aspects of it, the more you're going to get out of it, right? Like yeah. knowing who Caleb Dune is. Knowing mm-hmm. who Sagarera is, like knowing who Caleb Dune is, upped the ante from minute one for me. <laughs> like the emotion at a level 10 uh-huh. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I think if you didn't know who Caleb Dune is, I think uh, you'd probably be at like a three when you start. And then when you see what's happening, like, oh, this is Order 66, you, then you, you probably gradually work your way up to a 10. You know, mm-hmm. depending on how emotionally invested you are in Order 66. So, like, we, we got we're, – we're both at a level 10. It's just when did we get there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, the same thing with Saw Guerrero. Like, I don't think you need to know anything else about him other than he um, is someone that the Empire is familiar with and wants to get rid of. But if you know him from Clone Wars, you know he references it. He says, the clones taught us how to fight against the Separatists. Like, we were once on the same side. What, what are you doing now? Like, what's your choice now? He references that whole arc that happens. And then maybe you only know him from Rogue One. Like, I'm sure a lot of people are coming into this with only knowing Sagarera from Rogue One. And I think that's a really interesting juxtaposition of seeing him where his story ends. I, I feel like we've been talking about this a lot of seeing characters at their beginnings and ends um, mm-hmm. kind of next to each other. And I think there are a lot of people who that's probably going to be their experience with Sakurara in The Bad Batch is they only know him from Rogue One and seeing this other side of him, which is inching us closer and closer to that kind of extremist point of view that we see 
really heightened in, in both Rebels and in Rogue One. So all that to say is the more you know about Star Wars, the the more it's you're just going to pick up on these threads more easily. But yeah. I think the show, if you know that Revenge of the Sith has Order 66 in it and it's because the clones have a kill switch, I think you're good to go. Yeah, you know, you're I, right. I, you're right. I think that's really all you need to know. I think there are going to be some parts that are that like if I was a new viewer, I would probably Wikipedia like what happened to Echo. He's not a part of the Bad Batch. I, mm-hmm. Like I think that would probably be a thing that I would Wikipedia. But then but I there's think nothing other, wrong with that. There's no wrong no. With there's that. I feel like that yeah. like a lot of that is how I experience like Marvel movies. For example, same, same, same. That's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that, and so I think. And I think, yeah, the, like these people that they're naming specifically, like, Kay- well, actually, I don't even think I would look up Caleb, honestly, mm-hmm. if I were a cold viewer on Bad Batch, not knowing who Kanan was, because they don't even I might look Kanan up Deppa, though. I might look up Deppa and be like, oh, what's her deal? Why did we start with her? I don't think I would. I think I would just think it was like something that we saw in Order 66 in Revenge of the Sith. I think I'd look up Sagarera, perhaps, because I, I, I've probably seen Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd look up Echo. I think those would be the people right. that I would look up. So, yeah. And, and I think that goes back to say that, like, the opening doesn't take away from the show. Right? This is a, a huge conversation we had in Mandalorian, right? Of, like, the cameo of it all. And mm-hmm. I think that if we're comparing the two, like, I would say that, like, you know, we've only had one episode of Bad Batch. In some ways, I would say that this episode of Bad Batch has been like more seamless with those kind of cameos than some aspects of The Mandalorian were, um, just because it's not outright, because The Bad Batch obviously doesn't know that Caleb becomes Kanan, so we don't need to talk about it. Um, and Kanan is never mentioned, like that name. And the thing is, too, it's like with Bad Batch, I'm sure we'll be running into like a ton of people that we've met in previous seasons of Clone Wars and, and probably in other components of Star Wars too, like Rebels, you know, like we've already talked about Rex. There's always the possibility of Ahsoka at this time period. There's the possibility of Ahsoka really at any time period because we know she lives um, yeah. <laughs> through the Mandalorian timeline. I think seeing Bale isn't out of the question. Mon Mothma, you know, we're going to see Saw Gerrera again. Fennec. Um, every, there's, there's oh, a yeah, lot. we've got Fennec coming. Fennec, yeah. Like, <laughs> we could see Boba again. Like, the sky's the limit. I mean, they could see Yoda again, right? True. They could, they could go not, to Yoda. But maybe. Maybe, yeah. but like all Obi Wan, you never know. You oh my god. <laughs> We're gonna get a tie-in to Kenobi. It's gonna be crazy. Everything's a tie-in now, Caitlin. And I, know. I think again, just, again with the whole like talk it's about good. It it's good to have that yeah. sort of tie-in. Yeah. And like in the conversation of what is the value of these quote unquote cameos, I think there is um, a spectrum, right, of the value that they can have to a story. But I think for a story like Bad Batch in particular, that is so kind of nestled in between these other stories, like Clone Wars, like Rebels, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, like Bad Batch is kind of nestled in the middle there. It makes sense to have a lot of these connections um, just because of where it is, what we already have from this time period. I think that conversation is different with a show like The Mandalorian that is kind of pushed further out from other stories. So yeah, I think there is this kind of spectrum of value, I would maybe is how I want to talk about it now. This is a conversation we've been having for two years now <laughs> about um, what is the good of these of these 
appearances. We we even had this conversation um, with Vader at the end of season seven of Clone Wars. Like, what is the value of showing Vader here? Like, let's break it down because I think it's important to talk about that and to kind of decide which ones we think are valuable, which ones we think don't add as much value. Is this one just fun? Maybe it's just fun and that's okay too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think Rogue One has a lot of those like fun inclusions in it, the Easter eggs, if you will. Anyway, I think that we'll see a lot of these connections in Bad Batch, again, because of where it is in the timeline. And I'm really looking forward to that because I think that's part of Bad Batch's journey of talking to all these different people to figure out the truth of what has really happened to all of these clones and to the galaxy at large, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm so excited. For me, I think this was such a good intro into the series and I have so many questions and I cannot wait to see where it goes. And there's a sort of level of comfort into immersing ourselves again into the Clone Wars universe that it's weird to say because I feel like anytime we see Order 66, it's now this point in the Star Wars timeline that we're filling in a bunch of different characters' points of view. And I, I really do. I'm a believer and there's like so much value in that because it's like when you think about traumatic events in our own history, everyone has their own story. And I feel like that's the same in Star Wars, too. And to see that and how it all affects everything, because it's this basic shatter point for the entire galaxy. Um, I'm I'm re- I was really excited to see that and experience that pain. And I'm just really, <laughs> really thrilled about this series. And I can't wait to see what Jennifer Corbett's going to do with it. And I already feel really good about the writing because she's yeah. at the helm. I mentioned that in the beginning, but there's a certain sense of like softness and um, emotion that I could feel in this episode that I, I felt like, I don't know about you, but I was like, I feel this way. And I think it's because there's a woman writer behind it. And it was it was pretty clear to me that I it, this is going to be a show that I can get emotionally invested in because of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when Bad Batch was first announced, it was kind of like, oh, who is this show for? It feels like another like to be stereotypy about it, like another guy's show and like a, a really focused on like action and, you know, shoot them up and that kind of stuff. And I think there's definitely a time and a place for that in Star Wars. And I enjoy those stories. Um, But I think my first reaction was like, oh, I don't know if that's what I would have wanted next from Star Wars animation. Like if I had to dream my big pie in the sky, it would be something like very heavily character focused and like small cast of characters and, you know, like, we really love, like, the moral dilemmas. And Charlotte and I, again, if you're a first-time listener, our favorite, like, we love the Jedi. We love Force users. We love weird Force stuff. That's some of our favorite parts of Star Wars is when the Force gets trippy. <laughs> and so seeing this, like, show that is about clones who, as far as we know, right, like, don't have any kind of um, connection to the Force, to us, that's like, oh, that's not our favorite piece of Star Wars, Um Darn. But I think it was like the more we kind of sat with what Bad Batch could be, it's like, no, this is 
very clearly going to be about the humanity and like the individual choice of these clones and what they're ultimately going to do in the aftermath of the Republic and of Order 66. And I think that really is super intriguing to us um, and where like our interests in Star Wars tend to lie. And I think we were also just like so overwhelmed with how much we liked the Bad Batch arc from season seven of Clone Wars. I'm that, still not over that. I'm still, it, I'm just it was not like over the it. biggest shock of the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like 2020 made me a fan of Boba Fett. 2020 also made me a fan of the clones, which growing up with the Clone Wars, they were not our favorite characters. It's not that we, we loved didn't. Ahsoka. Yeah, it's just like Ahsoka our thing. <laughs> and Anakin and Obi-Wan were our favorites. Those were always our favorite episodes and stories. Just is what it is. And so anyway, total surprise to really fall for the Bad Batch in the first episodes of season seven was still like, okay, is this like, did I want a whole show with them? I don't know. I enjoyed the arc. Did I want a whole show? But now I'm here to tell you that I want a whole show. And, you know, (laughs) we got it. (laughs) The thing is, Charlotte and I both love new Star Wars. So it's like, even if something doesn't initially feel like it's going to be our favorite usually whatever is new is our favorite (laughs) and we just like yeah yeah, and we just like seeing what new stories are coming out of star wars because very rarely does it disappoint us that's my long spiel on being excited for bad batch i don't i don't even know how to summarize that spiel but that's what it was i'm excited for this show i feel like the show is going to provide a really good like background like burner emotions if that makes sense. I don't know you think about Star Wars and you think about the main player players and you think about the Skywalkers and like everyone's connection to that right and there's so many different pieces in Star Wars that are connected to that and then there's like this secondary level of stories that kind of all support that and provide this background to the galaxy far far away and the Bad Batch is part of that in my opinion something that's so good about the Clone Wars is that it expanded upon the emotions and makes you able to watch things like the prequels with a whole new light and a new respect and a new set of emotions. And I feel like the Bad Batch has an opportunity to do that for like basically every other piece of media that we've ever gotten around this time period. We've never really explored what happens immediately after Revenge of the Sith. Uh, It's only in like flashbacks and in Rebels and things like that. So how will the Bad Batch change my point of view of like Revenge of the Sith? How will it change my point of view of Rebels or the Obi-Wan Kenobi show or Solo or Rogue One, there's all these different tie-ins that I think that they could go for. There's this, I feel like with the writers and the animators, there's this sense of excitement about it because there's really, this time period is like a really great way to explore a bunch of different characters that like maybe we just haven't anywhere else, you know, because they haven't gotten their own show or something or followed that model of do they fit in the film or not. And it's like, well, they fit into the Bad Batch because the Bad Batch is this Island of Misfit Toys type of show, like I mentioned before. And for me, that's so exciting. And I feel like I'm not putting it into words that well, but it feels like this great, I feel like it's going to be a sleeper hit. Maybe it's a full hit, but if anything, <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a sleeper hit and I can't wait to see the conversations around it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's such a great like time period like uh, this like back burner or kind of like underlying story of like what's actually happening in the galaxy in the aftermath of Order 66 and Revenge of the Sith because for as many stories as we have around this time we don't actually know the nitty-gritty of what happens as the Empire is creating itself and Mm -hmm. making itself the the ruler of the galaxy so I think you're right it's it's going to be really interesting and we're already getting pieces of that right with Tarkin saying that conscripted soldiers are better 
um, than clones. And I think this is like where we'll eventually get to like the brain scraping that we see of Finn in the Force Awakens that's referenced, which like it just hurts my brain whenever I think of that <laughs> brain scraping. It. I just I can't I can't anyway. That was brought up in in Resistance, by the way. Oh yes, you're right. You're right. Just to just to in guess who wrote a bunch of episodes about Resistance? Jennifer oh, Corbett. Jennifer Corbett. So I just feel like that there's a connection there, and I'm that's what happens much later. But I think you bring up an interesting point that I don't think we talked enough about actually about what does Tarkin want to do with the clones, and like how do we get from point A with uh, advanced clones with personality traits to what we see in A New Hope with clones that are bad at aiming and are not clones anymore. They're stormtroopers and soldiers to how we see them in in the sequel trilogy where they're mind controlled and taken from birth and basically using what the Jedi do. But it's way more insidious with the brain scraping and the mind control and everything like that. So yeah. I, it's like, how do we get there and what does Tarkin have to do with that? It's it's a lot. Yeah. Well, it's like Palpatine, like had, right. Palpatine was behind the creation of the clone army from from the get go, and it's like Palpatine has this list of all this these administrative things they've got to wrap up or get rid of that came from the Republic, and Tarkin is just he's on you know assignment number one for week one of the Empire is figure out what to do with the super secretive clone creation on Camino. <laughs> like yeah. that's his job. I don't know. I, I think it is interesting and, and what other pieces from the Republic will we get to see? I really hope that we go back to Coruscant. I feel like we don't see enough of Coruscant actually. <laughs> and I would love to see the Bad Batch walking around Coruscant in this time period of this like bustling city that was the spot of like an attack basically with the Jedi temple burning. All I want is to walk through the Jedi temple. <laughs> Me too. And yeah, what what's happened there? I, anyway, like someone's got to be in charge of like closing it up, boarding up the windows. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think you're right. There's we're going to see a lot of different pieces of the Republic that are still left intact to kind of that have to still exist for the government to keep functioning. But then we also are going to see these pieces like Camino that Palpatine wants to get rid of. And yeah. that's what we're going to be seeing, I think. Um, so before we wrap up, episode one, day one, who's your favorite member of the Bad Batch? Hunter, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no one is surprised. Uh, mine is Tech. I still love Tech. I love uh, him too. He, Tech is my second favorite. Yeah, I, I love all the members of the Bad Batch, honestly. I really like Tech though. I thought he has some great one-liners, like when they're doing the test right and it's him and wrecker and hunter gives him the like hand signal and wrecker's like what is he saying and tech's like if you would just memorize the signals like these are our signals if you would just memorize them and wrecker <laughs> goes who would memorize he goes why don't you memorize them tech goes i did memorize them. <laughs> he goes it's like what we did on Volusia. and wrecker goes why don't you just say that <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I really like Wrecker and Tech. I think they have a super fun relationship. Um, but I love Tech. Uh, my, Do you guys want to hear my like crazy, crazy theory? We always want to hear your crazy, <laughs> crazy theory. 
<laughs> super angsty as per usual. But the crosshair theory is that um, crosshair is going to be hunting Bad Batch, basically like Inquisitor style. I I thought of this before we saw this episode, so things are rolling along. Um, but that he's going to be <laughs> in charge of uh, going after the Bad Batch because he knows all of their strategies like he knows all the hand signals (laughs) you know he's he's memorized them all unlike Becker so I think that they're going to be trying to outrun Hunter or uh, Crosshair also the other important thing too is that Omega they can like track Omega like you know when they were in the prison cell and they're like where's Omega and they're like oh she's still in that area of Kamino so she has like some kind of tracker in her I don't know if it only works in Kamino but just throwing that out there anyway so i think crosshair is going to be the one who's like put in charge by tarkin to go after bad batch and exterminate them and then i think they're gonna have this right they're gonna eventually cross paths again and i think that probably hunter is gonna have to uh kill crosshair in order to like protect omega like i think crosshair is gonna kidnap omega or something and they're gonna have to kill crosshair in order to save omega or it's going to be some like sophie's choice moment like that Mm -hmm. so that's my angsty theory about i think that's true that's my (laughs) only that's my realistic theory that could happen anyway loved this first episode of the bad batch what a treat to have a 70 minute extension of the clone wars on may the 4th we are so lucky as star wars fans to have this and i cannot wait to go on this journey and talk about a whole new show with you so exciting very excited yeah it's gonna be a great time i hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and i hope you if you're listening to this on may the 4th or in the aftermath of may the 4th (laughs) i hope that we have all had a great day together and uh yeah and that may the 4th was with you was in fact with you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the fourth will be with you always. the fourth will be with you always <laughs> all right i think that is gonna wrap up this first episode of bad batch uh aftermath i can't believe we finally made it um like i said i hope you guys enjoyed the show if you want to find us online we are most active on twitter you can find us at sky talkers pod or our personal handles mine is at caitlin flusher and charlotte's is at clarity we also have an instagram a facebook our website, skytalkers.com. We also have a TikTok account that we recently started, and we've been having a lot of fun posting over there. So if you waste hours on TikTok as we do, consider checking out our page there, (laughs) giving us a follow. (laughs) If you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes and have a couple seconds to spare, we would most appreciate it if you would go and leave us a review it helps other people find our show and if you're interested in other ways to support us you can also head on over to our patreon and check out our reward tiers there yes i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons jackson lauren mike alex bailey becca brendan bridget chris david derek diana dylan emma and eric thank you so much for supporting us your support means the world Also, I want to mention that we've been having some fun watch parties over on our Patreon. So if that's something you're interested in, you can join our Discord there. We have extra episodes. Lots of fun stuff happening on Patreon lately. So if you're interested, definitely check it out. The links are in our description. Yeah, definitely. And the other fun thing I'll add about our Patreon is that our new um, Patreon packages for our $5 and up tiers, they will be getting the special limited edition uh, Star Wars droid stamps on them. So (laughs) just (laughs) 
an added bonus. Yes, from the U.S. Postal Service, the new, yeah. the new stamps. From, from <laughs> the U.S. Exciting. Postal Service slash Skytalkers to your new Patreon, your envelope with your you know, Skytalkers uh, Patreon sticker pack will have the fun droid stamp on it. So anyway, look forward to that. <laughs> but yes, thank you guys as always for listening. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.